Would you open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 25 through 32. And if you uh, turn there, we're going to be there for a while this morning, so I would love it if you turn there. And if, even if you've got it on your phone, I used to get all like super picky about the format. Well, you got to have it in your Bible because I love it in my book. I love this thing here. But then I realized if I was that concerned about the format, then I should go get some stone tablets <laughs> or some papyrus and just roll it out down the aisle here. So I don't know that God is as concerned about the format as I am. But So if you've got it on your phone or whatever your, your means is, I would love it because this is whatever format it's coming to you in, it is God's word transmitted. Uh, it is 66 books by 40 authors over thousands of years that is a message from outside our time domain that is to us. And so Ephesians 4, part of that supernatural communication. And let's start in, yeah, let's go ahead and start in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood. And if you're looking for the therefore that, maybe go back and, and look at, listen to the podcast from last week of what it means to be in unity in Christ, us working together, the metaphor of me training and running, that my legs sometimes have to take the brunt of the bad decisions of my mouth. Um, but, but that's how we work in unity together. But because of that now, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but Rather, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted and forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In verse 1 of chapter 5, you know the chapters and the verses were not there. This was all part of the same thought that Paul was communicating. And therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Lord, would you give us uh, some insight into your word this morning and to make it become alive to us that it would be that lamp. The prayer of every week is that it is not about what I'm saying, but what you could say to us individually, that it is a rhema word for us individually. And that's my prayer this morning, that you would, you would enlighten us in those ways. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. When I was in... Uh, grade school and middle school, uh, my family was on uh, government-funded lunches, welfare for, the, for kids in Nebraska. And, and I don't know if they still do it this way or not, but in those days, you got a different colored lunch card, and they gave you smaller portions. And I remember my Aunt Donna, who looked not unlike a bulldog, Jowls, you know, just she was that sour kind of a persona. It was my grandfather's sister, Aunt Donna, and Aunt Donna 
was meaner than two snakes. And we never liked it when she came to family functions. Maybe you don't have an Aunt Donna. But Aunt Donna was in charge of selling the lunch tickets at school. She worked as in the administrative office. And Aunt Donna would literally look at me with the... You know that look... I don't know any teenagers in here. Girls, when your brother passes gas, that look that your sister, you know, that you give, that... Look, that's the look that Aunt Donna gave every time I came up to get my lunch ticket. Like something awful was about to happen, and it was this judgmental and awful scouring look. And it made me so angry when I was a kid. So angry that that anger become a, a passion and a fuel that caused me to think, I don't ever want to have to look at that lady again. So I'm going to go and sell. I learned that you could sell bubble gum. If you, if you uh, stop at the gas station, this is a good lesson for you kids at the College Grove Market. If you buy a 10-pack of bubble gum, you could sell it and double your money by noon and have enough money to buy lunch and not have to uh, look at Aunt Donna, which nobody wanted to look at Aunt Donna. So the anger that I had towards her became this fuel that became ultimately a passion that I didn't even know I was having that would later I would get together in my little bucket of bolts, Oldsmo, Buick, whatever car. And that Saturday that I graduated, I got in my car and I loaded that thing as much as I could and I drove out of town that night because I wanted to get as far away from that as possible. Fueled by anger, passion was what I had from it. And... As we were going through this, I, I promise you, I really wanted to skip this part and just get right into the, the be imitators of God and kind. And, but here's this thing where he's saying, be angry and sin not. And then he also goes on to say, yeah, but don't but put away anger. So it seems kind of confusing as to what it is and why it is and what it is that we're supposed to even do with anger, right? Because what, if, you've, if you've watched the news at all, if you have any presence remotely in social networking, there's a lot of anger out there right now, a lot of vitriol. Kyle Froman is here this morning. He's a chaplain with uh, MRO and NASCAR. But he, he wrote this, this really well thought out, very, in, uh, I thought, intellectual and uh, just commentary on what's happening right now with, with, a, lo, with a, a national retailer and us not wanting to go there anymore and signing petitions. And, and I'm assuming you probably got some pretty uh, vitriolic responses from that. Few. This reasonable thing. I was like, that's a pretty reasonable thing. How could anybody argue with that? And the answer is, uh, if you've ever read the comments in a YouTube page, you know that there's a lot of ways you can disagree with the most common sense of things out there. On, on the news this week, there are riots going on in, uh, in, in California and, and trying to keep politicians from making their statements. And these politicians, not to be felt sorry for, are f using that anger as well. In our country, there's just a lot of anger. And yet... Somehow there's this thing, this delicate dance of how we can, we, that anger is not in and of itself a sinful thing. There's a sinful side of it, but it's not in and of itself sinful. And that's, I think, where it gets kind of confusing is that on one side, no, no, we have to love, we can't ever say anything bad, we can't ever say anything that would challenge that. And on the other side, it's all I got to say is challenging and it's mad and it's angry. And somewhere in the middle of all that, the Bible is not nearly so simplistic and so unsophisticated as that. Because in this passage here, Paul says to be angry and sin not. 
And he would go on to say, be kind to one another. So somehow anger and kind are not mutually exclusive ideas. And, and let, me, let me take you on the journey that I was on. There was a point in my life where I was minding my own business in the music business. Shepler, I don't know if you were still around in those days, but I, I was... It was, it was that point, I was like in my mid-30s, and maybe it was the midlife crisis, I don't know. I probably would have been better just buy a sports car and get it over with. But that, I just remember thinking, is this what God has called me to do? And there's all this injustice in the world, and all this stuff I never even noticed before. And I started getting real angry at injustice. Angry at the way that I was raised. Angry at the poverty that I had experienced. And angry, now what I could have done at that moment, there's two, two options really. I could, I could have occupied Wall Street. Or I could have just let that simmer in me and become what I, what I think is fueling much of the depression in America is literally a depressed anger. It's to say that I don't want to deal with that, I don't want to acknowledge that, and so I am depressing it, suppressing it, depressing it. And so, because of Christians, we don't want to say anger. We're never going to say angry because that's not a Christian thing, so we're just going to say something else. We'll call it depression, whatever we want to call it, but it's, there's an anger to that. And Paul says... It's not that simple. In our society, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's on our society as much as the way that I was raised, that there was two ways of dealing with anger. One is you blow up, or the other is you clam up. You, you just literally rage, and, and I'm raging about it. Or the other, which seemed more spiritual, <laughs> didn't it? You Midwesterners know what I'm talking about. We didn't express that. We just suppressed it. And ultimately, Paul says, don't do that. Because what he's saying here is three things in this little passage, and there's three things we're going to focus on and three things we're going to dive into, and I think three things that Jesus really could say about what it looks like and how anger doesn't have to be something that makes you bitter. You know that old cliche, it can make you bitter, it can make you better. Because what ultimately happened with me is I didn't go occupy Wall Street. We just started saying, well, look, what if we take this little bit of money and we actually then be a part of this pro the solution and not part of the problem. And so that became a, pa a fuel for passion for me. Because anger, the biblical definition, I believe that what Paul is going to say here is that anger itself is... You got that up there, Joe? I'm sorry. Got it. Thank you, Joe, for saving me. It's the biblical definition of anger is an energy that is aroused or rises in defense of something good and it's released against something evil. That is the working definition of anger that I believe the Bible supports. I believe that's why it can say be angry and sin not because Jesus in the temple was angry. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 was saying, hey look, you guys, he uses the word zeal and indignation and I really challenged you and there was an anger in what he said and a kindness in what he said. So he was kind of angry. Which if I were to give a title to my sermon, which I'm really bad at, that's what I would say. Is how do we be kind of angry? And these three things are this, that anger is not a sin. Number one, number two, anger is not only not a sin, it's a command. And number three, that there is an actual sinful anger. Those are the three things. And number one, that anger is not uh, a sin in and of itself, that anger is something that we feel, there is an emotion to it, that there, there is no such thing, I don't believe, as a feeling or an emotion 
that is in and of itself sinful. And I know some of us, that rocks our theological boat because we don't go by what we feel, but by every word from the mouth of God. I get that. But every feeling we have is a God-given emotion that does something for us that could also be tainted by sin and by the fallen world that we're in. To put it another way, it's, we leave, uh, put it this way, concern, my general concern for you, turns into worry. If I leave eggs out of the fridge too long, they spoil, right? So worry is just concern that was left out of the fridge too long. It's a good thing to be concerned, it's a bad thing to be worried. Do you see what I'm saying? So anger in and of itself isn't a bad thing, it actually is an emotion that tells us, that tells the world what I care about. Think about it this way. If you insult my wife, let me tell you, that's not going to go well. You try to harm my children. Like, I'm getting mad thinking about it. (laughs) But I'm telling the world what I care about by what makes me angry. Which, when you put it that way, means that this is one of the most vulnerable of emotions. Because what made me mad, I can't, I, you know, I, that tells the world what I really do care about. So it's a risky emotion. It's a risky feeling. But it can be a fuel, an energy that rises in defense of something good and released against something evil. Why would Jesus in Mark 5 get so angry at the scribes and the Pharisees? He was getting ready to heal somebody. And they come up and they're saying, uh, well, you can't heal on the Sabbath day. You can't do it. What made him angry was, I believe, because it says he got angry and he healed them. <laughs> the Sabbath day was given as a gift to the people of God, as a rest, as a moment. In a culture, where, a world where that was completely non-existent, a day of rest, the pagan nations were like, are you nuts? We'll take a day off? And God said, yeah, just like Chick-fil-A, just take a day. So what was meant to be good, like Chick-fil-A, became bad because they're using it to torture people. So what Jesus did was he aroused an energy inside of him and aimed it at something evil. He aimed it at the sickness and healed him that day. And for us, anger can become that passion. There's a reason why I'm leaving for Haiti this week and there are hundreds and hundreds of children who are cared for and loved because, frankly, uh, 10, 11 years ago, a young guy named Philip Peters got mad. He's 20-some years old, got mad. Why is this happening? Why does nobody care about this? And his anger was contagious. Now, we could have been bitter and we could have done protests and we could have done Occupy whatever, but instead, we're like, okay, no, let's let's take that energy and rise it up in defense of the poor and the vulnerable and the the oppressed, in defense of them and aim it at the evil, which is poverty, which is Satan. So not only, listen, not only is it something that's not bad and not sinful, if you look at it this way, it's a command, which means not only is it not sinful, there are moments where if you're not angry about this, you're in the wrong. Like if you're not angry about injustice or sex trafficking, or if you're not angry about these things that are happening, the command is to be angry about that. And not like incredible Hulk style, like you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. 
right? <laughs> to rise up and to be angry about it and then to aim it in defense of something good, which is where passion comes from. It's why it fuels passion. The healthy form of anger is not rage. It's passion. Think about it. The ultimate moment of anger in our history, in our saved us from our sins, because what do we call what Jesus did? The passion of the Christ. The anger against what's happening in humanity. The anger against my sin and your sin. Why is he so angry? Because look, every sin I do has a consequence to it. Like, I'm, I'm, when I do something that's harmful to, it hurts other people. Now, he loves me and he loves you just as much. So there's an anger that had to be satisfied somewhere. And instead of him being bitter against us and instead of him raging against us, he took one for us in the ultimate, in the passion of the Christ, letting his anger against sin, anger against the fallen nature of this world and fueled a passion. Because what that does at a passion moment is to say that I'm no longer thinking about what the world thinks of me. I'm no longer thinking about even the pain. I'm only thinking about the passion that's in front of me. And the fuel of that is his anger. And, and I know that, sure, we could say it's his love, absolutely, but where did, it was anger that fueled that to say, I'm going to do something about this to save you and save me from our sins. And the fuel in the engine, I mean, I've got gas in my car right now. I get to decide when I turn out of here, am I going to go left or am I going to go right? The fuel gives me the power to go there, but it's me that decides where, and that's with our anger inside of us right now, that there's a world where, where there's a lot of things to be angry about that are legitimately, mad, where there's a word, maddening. And so it's hard to even know what to do about it. It's hard because we look at that and say, this is maddening. It's, there's, there's, it's a chromosome thing. When we're talking about the transgender conversation in our community, we're really mad at Target, and we're raging at a corporation, but we don't get to have the real conversation, which was had in a Wall Street Journal article just a couple years ago that basically a psychiatrist saying, look, we can't say that everything that happens in our mind can't be questioned. It just can't be. There's a science behind this, and in a world that appreciates science, what's happening, and I believe that from the day that Satan, he loves this technique, which is anger turned to rage, and when I'm raging and the world is raging, why do the heathen rage and imagine a vain thing? That's a technique of Satan from time immemorial. So now we can't even have a conversation about it. So for us as believers, as followers of Christ, who believe the Bible, who believe that at, the, at birth there is this thing called chromosomes and it's a science thing. We believe those things. For me to fall for the trap of Satan and to rage against it misses an amazing opportunity. And it's really a lot of fun to go ahead and aim that at something outside of ourselves. But I can take that even home in our own lives. <laughs> and say that in our own lives, as a parent, as a husband, that he would actually say that, be angry and sin not. And then he goes on to say this. He says, let all bitterness, verse 31, and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. And when I look at that, just if you're a note taker, when you look at it and say that, hey, look, bitterness, and we're going to circle back to that, put bitterness away, but hold on to that thought, but he goes on to say that rage and anger and brawling and slander, depending on your translation, rage and anger are internal. 
Okay, brawling and slander are external. So follow me on this. If, if my response is to blow up, Paul says that's not a good idea. To let it just vent uncontrolled and unchecked. Brawling and slander, put that away. And he goes on to say that rage and anger, those are internal, wrath. Basically, I'm just going to bottle that up inside of me. And if if you're a bottle-up person, you know that eventually, just like a giant zit, that's going to pop. My apologies (laughs) for that mental picture. But you know what I'm saying. It's coming out one way or the other. So bottling it up or blowing it up are neither one the options that the Bible suggests for us. And so when I think of my life in this country, when I think of in Paris right now, in the town squares there, there's like this anger thing, and they're coming out and just yelling into microphones. Like in our world right now, angry at the system, angry at sin, angry... What do I do with that? And I think that when I take it back home for me and I start at home, it helps me to deal with it better when we're talking about public. And here's, here's what I'd like to leave you with, are these two questions for yourself. A, a little litmus test, if you will. When you begin to be angry at something and you feel that in you, ask yourself these two questions. One, what am I defending? And two, what am I attacking? It's a great litmus test at home. It's a great litmus test on social networking. It's a great litmus test in a pulpit. So let's follow this illustration, okay? I've had a really long day. And what I want to do is get home and binge watch some Seinfeld. Some of you guys, it'd be football, and that's awesome, and congratulations. But for me... I just want to binge watch something. And, I, and so maybe even in my mind, I'm kind of imagining how that's going to go. And so when I come home and something happens with one of my children that interrupts that thing, it kind of ticks me off. What am I defending and what am I attacking? Now for me, what I'm defending is my ego, my time my schedule, my plan, my agenda. And what I'm attacking might be my kids because I want them to feel as bad as I feel right now. So lashing out at them is one way that we would deal with that as humans in an unhealthy way. What am I defending and what am I attacking? The other way, by the way, which is just as unhealthy, is to bottle it up and not say anything. And so later, are you okay, babe? Are you okay? No, I'm just tired. I'm just depressed. I'm Depressed, another form of anger. We don't want to call it anything. We don't call it angry. But do, do you see what I'm getting at? What am I defending? What am I attacking? Is a litmus test for me at home to say that this anger might be a, a legitimate feeling, but it's rising from an unhealthy place in me. So blowing up, bottling up, are neither one the right answer. They're neither one the right way to build a healthy marriage, to be a good father, to be a good mother. No, I think that there's a third way. I've heard it said once, and I don't, I'd give them credit if I could remember it, but there's no way for a parent to raise a child well that doesn't have some anger in you. Angry at what drugs and alcohol will do to your children. Angry at what unchecked sexuality will do to our children. 
And so when your daughter or son comes home and their eyes are a little glassy-eyed, you have an opportunity to be angry, which is a good thing. Be angry, but ask yourself, what am I defending and what am I attacking? Because in our world, the world I grew up in, the parents, we attacked the children. But if we take a step back and say, look, I'm angry that you did this. You put people's lives in danger. You, this is a bad thing that you've done. But it is you and me, kid, against this, not me and this against you. And that is not a small distinction. Because it's the sin that we're angry at, not our children. The anger has to be aimed at what am I defending? I'm, a, I'm defending their lives. I'm defending the, their health. If you, don't, if you do this in your relationship, it's going to go unchecked. You, you're going to be miserable and alone, or you're going to be miserable in, in a relationship where you hate the other person because you didn't start. Here, I'm angry about that, but it's not you that I'm mad at. It's sin. So I'm defending you together against that. Does this make sense? I, d- I didn't skip bitterness on accident. Because in the few minutes that we have left, I, I really wanted to say that, look, the, the unhealthy anger of bottling it up or blowing it up are unhealthy, but he also says to put away bitterness as well. And bitterness, how many lives have been ruined by bitterness? How many people on their deathbed are angry at God and angry at everybody because it was unjust what happened to them and held on to this bitterness their whole lives? And Paul says, put that away. Bitterness, by the way, raging in bitterness, that is basically not because, it's, to put it another way, I don't want to feel the pain myself, so I'm going to rage against it. I'm going to hold bitterness. So it doesn't actually fix anything. It just... It's just another form of medication. It's a drug that is not a pill. And he says, put it away. And he says, put it away for a couple reasons. One, because it imprisons you. And if that alone isn't enough, I don't know what else would be, but the prison that bitterness puts you in for your whole lives. And it might be they did something legitimately wrong. Probably that's why it requires forgiveness. But imprisonment doesn't imprison them, it imprisons you. We see this a lot in church these days, frankly. Someone got hurt, legitimately hurt, in an abusive situation in a church. So fast forward a couple years, kids want to go to church and dad's like, no, I'm not going there. They hurt me. That hurt me. That. So what ends up happening, that's not freedom. That's imprisonment. It's saying, I'm not even going to let my kids be a part of a church because I'm so angry and so bitter about it. It's an imprisonment. It's not a freeing thing. It's a prisoning thing. So put away bitterness because it's actually, Jesus loves you so much as if you let go of that, your life's going to be so much better. And the way that we let go of that is by the simple reminder that this contradicts the behavior of Christ towards you specifically. The prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus would say it another way in a parable of of a king and a servant that owed him an enormous sum of money, 17 years salary. You remember this story? 
And he, sa- he brings the servant in who could never pay this debt and says, you're free to go. I'm wiping the whole debt free. And what does the debtor do? The debtor goes out and there he, there's another guy that he meets and that guy owes him a small sum of money. And instead of letting that debt go free, he wants to collect on that debt and have that guy thrown into prison. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. When I'm forgiving someone, I'm literally letting go of the seed of bitterness in me because it's exactly what Christ did for me. And the greatness of that thing that I think that they did to me pales in comparison to the debt that Jesus forgave me. If you look at this list in Ephesians chapter 4, 25, 32, that whole passage, it actually sort of mimics the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? Don't put any other gods before me. No idolatry. It's, it's sort of a mimic of that. But what is Paul saying here? He's not saying that we can do this by trying harder. No, it's the exact opposite of that. <laughs> Be kind to one another, being forgiving and tenderhearted. It starts with when he says, don't gr- listen, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Why is that tucked into the middle of all of that? What would grieve him is me trying to do it in my own strength. It's me coming home, telling my kids, I'll take care of this whole thing, and then to find my kids doing a job that I wanted to do for them, it's, it's grieving to me. I wanted to do that for you. It's a gift to you, and now you want to go do it yourself? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by trying to do this in your own strength. It, it means that I'm, I'm completely dependent on him every day. It means that just like, uh, this is probably why he uses the language of agriculture so much in the scriptures, because it just takes some time. You're 100% new inside. Like I said last week, when a baby is born, there will never be any more life in that baby than there is the moment that that baby is, is conceived, that there's life in that moment. There will never be more or less until the moment they step into eternity. You are alive. You weren't being made nicer. You're being made new. And because of that, it's the Holy Spirit's job inside of us to help us to listen and to, and slowly, day by day, and that's why we have to have grace for each other because it just takes some time. And as it relates to what's happening in our world right now, there are a lot of maddening things happening. I recognize it, I acknowledge it. When I say maddening, I'm, I'm looking at a civilization that's, that literally says science is everything. Science is everything. If it can't be proved by science, listen, if it can't be proved by science, then it can't be true. That's what civilization is saying right now, Western civilization, who is standing up for areas of our lives, whether it's in relationships or sexuality, that cannot be proved by science, but yet are still true because it's what I feel. Now, that's maddening, isn't it? Why do the heathen rage and imagine it? So if I'm... Shocked by that, it's because I don't understand the plan of the enemy. And if I'm angry by it, I can then use that anger to fuel not bitterness, not rage, not brawling, not slander, but I can use that rage to fuel the anger, to fuel kindness, to be kind one to another. Because listen to me, in no war do we shoot the hostages. And this is a spiritual war, a war for the souls of men and women around the world. And when I start taking shots at those that disagree with me or those that are factually incorrect and I'm shooting at them, then I'm letting an anger, an energy rise in me 
and I'm defending something, but then I'm aiming it not at the evil, but at a person. I think it was Martin Luther King's tenets of whatever what says that letting the anger, uh, nonviolence is, uh, is aggressive against principles, not people. So this week, as you're praying and as you're thinking and as you're tempted to say something, <laughs> take a step back. What am I defending and what am I attacking? And it's, I acknowledge and I recognize it ain't easy. Man, I got four kids. I got three daughters. And I'm listening to some of the stuff coming off YouTube going, are you crazy? Have you lost your ever-loving minds? Yes. Yes, they have. Because the heathen are raging and imagining a vain thing. But you, don't let that be you. Let us not rage and imagine vain things. Let us rise up and defend the poor, of the cause of the poor and the widow, widows and the powerless and the cause of, because let me tell you what makes me angry with a young child right now, being told that because you think I'm, another, I'm a boy or I'm a girl, because you think that, and they're five years old. They're five. What are they? They're five. They think Captain America is real. So to rise up and instead of raging against them, to pray for them and to ask for opportunities to speak into people's lives and knowing, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, that it was Jesus that died for them, that Jesus that did, I am not their savior, Jesus is. And I have to lose my Messiah complex. It's not my job to fix that. My job is to be a conduit of love and of grace and of truth and of anger and kindness, to be kind of angry. Would you stand? Let's pray. I hope this made sense. This is a crazy world out there right now, and if you don't know that, you've clearly been living under a, a rock. And it's mostly crazy in the Western Hemisphere. If you go talk to my brothers and sisters in Haiti or Africa or India, they're like, what? Remember one of the guys, Pastor William, who was here last year, how did that even come into their minds? Like, he doesn't even understand. But we can take a step back and say, okay, first of all, Jesus, not surprised. I am. He not. Joanne and I were talking about that this morning. We, we, we read about this. But we didn't think it like in our day. Like, wow. So my temptation is to rise up in defense of my own pride and my own country and my own thing instead of rising up in defense of truth and rising up in defense of, of their salvation and aiming my anger not at them but at the evil and the sin itself. Father, would you give us insight and make that make sense to us? Today we're going to walk out and we're going to encounter something today that's going to require a lot of insight and a lot of prayer and a lot of just trusting in you and not grieving your spirit by doing it in our own strength. So much of our Christian life, Lord, is just about us just reminding ourselves of our identity and reminding ourselves of who we are seated with you in heavenly places. And we do this morning pray for our country and pray for those who are held hostage by the vitriol, held hostage by the deception that you would bring to them the ultimate freedom that is only found in you. In your name we pray. Amen.